What's going on guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to another episode of Cabinet Today for November the 12th of 2018. My name is Samuel Adams and welcome to today's show. For those that might be brand new to the program, this is a daily gaming news show where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry and I package it in one tight, neat little package for you to enjoy every single weekday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time live on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams Live or maybe even over on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media or via podcast feeds of your choice that could be apple that could be google that could be spotify tons of other ones for you to choose from but today we do start off with some bad news and that is of course the passing of stan lee and so we will talk about that a little bit there Uh, but then moving on to cheerier news we have microsoft acquiring a couple of studios as announced at xo18 over the weekend crackdown 3 has a definitive launch date mouse and keyboard support is coming to the xbox this week live action detective pikachu trailer is out there in the wild for you to enjoy if you did want to do that. Leaked photos suggest that Valve is working on its own VR headset. Nuketown is coming to the PS4 version of Black Ops 4. Battlefield 1 players honor Armistice Day over there on the Battlefield 1 servers. The remastered versions of the Bioshock series could be getting a independent release, so to speak. Just each individual game instead of the entire bundle. And finally, Sony's PlayStation Classic is powered by the open source emulator PCSX, and we will talk about that just a bit. And those are the stories of the day. But again, for those that might be new to the show watching live, for those that might be new to the show watching the VOD or even the podcast version of it, I welcome you to the show. And I hope that you do enjoy what you find. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into the hottest gaming news of the day. And that is, of course, that Stan Lee has passed away at the age of 95. Very unfortunate news here. But man, what a full life that was lived with this individual. Am I right? Think about the legacy that is left behind here. Stanley, the man responsible for much of the Marvel Universe, has died, according to TMZ, and many other sources have confirmed this as well. Stan's daughter has told TMZ. We're told an ambulance rushed Lee's Hollywood Hills home early Monday morning, and he was rushed to Cedars Sinai Medical Center, where or we're told that is where he died. Lee had suffered several illnesses over the last year or so. He had a bout of pneumonia and vision issues. Stan started Marvel with Jack Kirby in 1961 with the Fantastic Four. He went on to create Spider-Man, Black Panther, the Incredible Hulk, X-Men, Iron Man, and the Avengers. Lee had a rocky relationship with Marvel once the company went full-tilt Hollywood. He sued the company in 2002 for royalties he said he was owed for the first Spider-Man movie. Three years later, he settled the case for $10 million. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse is the latest installment of the film's franchise and will be released next month, and it does look pretty good. Lee is survived by his daughter, J.C. His wife of 69 years, Joan, died in 2017. J.C. tells TMZ, My father loved all of his fans. He was the greatest, most decent man. Lee was 95, rest in peace. And of course, there's a picture of the man himself right there next to Thor. And uh, man, what a life this dude leaves. It's just such a legacy. I mean, think about how much has been done in 95 years. He was born in 1922, and he was uh, just brought up in such a way that he went into the army, and then he was recruited to kind of make this uh, propaganda-ish kind of stuff for the army to build up morale and that kind of thing. And so then he just kind of gradually transitioned into cartoons and lo and behold after all these years he has become the man behind the comic books essentially he is the face of not only marvel but really comic books overall 
And so to even say uh, anything bad about this man would be shocking, in my opinion, because there has just never been anything wrong with Stanley. He has always been an upstanding individual, uh, somebody who I have looked up to, because what a legacy to leave behind. Somebody who I remember hearing whenever I was growing up, not only in movies and in the comic book realm, but also when it comes to games. I specifically remember playing Spider-Man on the PlayStation 1, and whenever you started up that game, he would give a little speech, kind of getting you ready, getting your mind set for that specific kind of setting and it's those definitive memories that really do stand out in my mind of Stan Lee. He was not only behind the comic books but he was very much so a representative of the entire industry and so whenever you have a legacy like that uh, you're 95 years is well spent. Now, I will say over the course of the past couple of months and really a couple of years, he has been facing some legal issues because people were simply taking advantage of the fact that he was the age that he was at and he was very trusting of a lot of the people around him. I know he had some issues with his daughter. He had some issues with a lot of his lawyers and a lot of that kind of thing. And of course, we've talked about that on Caffeinate, even starting back in March. A lot of stuff going on over the course of the past year, but it seems like Stan Lee's story is finally drawing to a close. But is it? When it comes down to it, Stan Lee is never really going to be going away because his work is encapsulating who he is as a person. He created these entities. He created these superheroes that really do define who he is. He is a superhero in and of himself, and he took those aspects and he placed them into all these characters and all these stories and all these universes that he created. So Stan Lee is not really gone just in physical form. So if you did want to know what happened to Stan Lee, that is exactly how his story ends. But man, as I said, what a legacy to leave behind at the age of 95. So rest in peace and of course condolences to not only the family, but a ton of fans that are going to be affected by this tragic loss to the entertainment industry. Good man right there. Very good man. But moving on to the next story of the day, Microsoft is going to acquire Obsidian Entertainment and InXile Entertainment as well, according to an announcement from XO 2018 over the weekend. Microsoft announced its intent to acquire Obsidian Entertainment and InXile Entertainment. Obsidian is best known as the developer of role-playing games like Fallout New Vegas, South Park The Stick of Truth, The Pillars of Eternity series, and Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic 2. InXile is also well known for its development of role-playing games, including Wasteland 2, Torment, Tides of New Minera, Bard's Tale 4, and the upcoming Wasteland 3. Today's announcement further bolsters the company's current stable of development teams to 13, which is a lot of development studios, if I do say so myself. And of course, these are following the announcements earlier this year at E3 that Microsoft would acquire Ninja Theory, Undead Labs, Compulsion Games, and Playground Games as well. Additionally, Microsoft indicated it was interested in acquiring even more new studios. And of course, Microsoft has also opened a new studio in Santa Monica, California called The Initiative, recruiting top-tier talent from throughout the entire games industry. And so let me tell you right now, the next Xbox is going to be beefy when it comes to first-party exclusives because, man, what a pair to grab up right here. I mean, between Obsidian and and, and Exile, uh, the potential for an RPG here is just mind-boggling. I mean, there's just so much talent within these two studios independently, but together, who knows what they could come up with. Not saying they are going to be working together, but whenever you have two of these studios acquired at the same time, you know that there's going to be a lot of awesome work coming out of both of them simultaneously, and I cannot wait to see what exactly that looks like. But 
I will say that when it comes to Obsidian, what I am wanting from them is, as many people are wanting, a Fable game. There is so much life left in the Fable franchise, and there are so many more stories to be told, uh, that to leave that one sit is just kind of a crime, in my opinion. So I would love to see Obsidian get to work on a Fable game. Uh, In Exile seems to be more of a hardcore, gritty kind of studio, if I do say so myself. I mean, what we've seen with Wasteland specifically, I would love to see more of that kind of setting from them. But, I mean, just look at this list. Uh... Just the couple of there that are mentioned here in the article. Ninja Theory, Undead Labs, Compulsion Games, Playground Games. So many incredible minds behind all these studios. Uh, that when it comes to not only the next generation of Xbox, but also Windows 10 PCs and Windows PCs in general, you know, looking beyond Windows 10. Uh, these exclusive games are going to be big. And uh, Microsoft has a full deck right here to play with. And <laughs> if, if I do say so myself, uh, they've got a lot of stuff going on. And I would love to see how this does pan out over the course of the next few years, but this is all in response to the way that Sony has been going over the course of the past two console generations with games like Uncharted, with games uh, looking over at my shelf like Ratchet and Clank, like Horizon Zero Dawn, like The Last of Us, so many of these independent, God of War for instance, these games that are only on Sony consoles that you have to kind of beef up your catalog and make it appealing to play on an Xbox, because right now you've got Halo and Gears of War and a couple of other ones here and there, and of course the timed exclusivity of PUBG. Uh, but so many more games that are only on PS4 that are more enticing than those games that are only on the Xbox One. And so it's just a lot to think about here, but when it comes down to it, this is just continuing the trend that Microsoft is setting themselves up for a very, very good next generation, and I would love to see more about where they're going over the course of the next 10 years. Uh, Make no mistake, though, this is not going to be an instantaneous, like, wow, look at that, Microsoft's got games now. No, this is going to be something that gradually changes over time. This is going to be something that takes a couple of years uh, before you do see these games beginning to roll out and actually take effect. So keep that in mind. Temper your expectations, but I would say you're going to be seeing this kind of stuff really emerge by 2021, 2022. Uh, That's when a lot of these projects are going to be kind of poking their heads out and seeing what's going on over there on the Xbox and Windows PCs. But we'll see what happens with this one. Microsoft is a wild gun right now. You never know what's going to happen with that company. But moving on to the next story of the day, again from XO18, Crackdown 3 launches February the 15th of 2019 on the Xbox One and the PC. The long-delayed open-world game is almost here. Yes, Microsoft really has been hinting at some big Crackdown 3 news by giving away the original game. The company has confirmed that the repeatedly delayed open-world game will be available on the Xbox One, including Game Pass and Windows 10 PCs, on February 15th of 2019. It also premiered its talked-about competitive multiplayer player mode wrecking zone that has two five-player teams fighting each other in a fully destructible venue and in case you're wondering microsoft revealed that the first crackdown will remain free until november the 30th so you'll want to snag the classic game while you can and yes that is backwards compatible over there on the xbox one to say this is a clo- excuse me to say this closes a long saga would be an understatement. Microsoft first talked about Crackdown 3 in 2014 before it even had an official title and officially announced it in August of 2015 with plans to release it in 2016. Needless to say, things didn't go according to schedule. The creators pushed it back multiple times, both for the sake of refinement and the technological challenges of its cloud-based environment destruction system. At this point, the question is whether or not the third game can both justify the wait and satisfy gamers who still have fond memories 
memories from the series Xbox 360 heyday. And of course, there is a bit of a new live action Game Pass trailer here for you guys, but uh, what you have here is the culmination of a lot of years of hard work, and we'll see what ends up happening with this game. I'm still not confident in Crackdown 3. I would be lying if I said that I was, because seeing what I have seen of the game, it's just not quite where it needs to be to really satisfy all of these years of waiting. It's just not quite there. And so, with that being taken into consideration, I feel like a lot of gamers feel that way, but there are a lot of good aspects of this release. It is included on Game Pass. On top of that, it is going to be coming to Windows 10 PCs as well on launch day. There's a lot going for this game here. And so with the, uh, you know, compatibility with Game Pass or the inclusion in Game Pass, you are going to be getting a lot of people getting in on day one, and that could potentially save the game. However, it doesn't matter how available your game is. It doesn't matter how free it is. If the game isn't good, people are not going to want to play. I think the destructibility in this game is going to be mind-boggling. I think it is going to be a fantastic game. But how fantastic is it going to be? A lot of questions remain to be answered here. So we'll see what happens again coming out on February the 15th of 2019 after a very, very long delay. Uh, but definitely looking forward to seeing what the game does end up looking like when it does come out on the Xbox One and the PC. And when it does come out on February the 15th, you, yes you, can play on a mouse and keyboard via the Xbox One. Because that is being added to the console on November the 14th, just two days away from the time of this stream slash podcast. Fortnite is now one of the earliest adopters as well. You won't necessarily have to be an early adopter to try out the Xbox One's vaunted mouse and keyboard support. As of November the 14th, Microsoft is rolling out the input options to gamers through an update. This won't mean that everyone will get to ditch the gamepad right away. The first titles will still be limited to insiders. This will let developers add mouse and keyboard control to their games, though it won't be limited to Warframe in the early days. Most notably, Epic has confirmed that Fortnite will be one of the first Xbox One games with the new in input support. This will limit you to matching up with other similar equipped players, but it should please fans who'd rather not buy a gaming-ready PC just to play the Battle Royale game with greater agility and precision. A handful of games are expected to support the mouse and keyboard play later in November, including Vermintide 2, War Thunder, Strange Brigade, Bomber Crew, Deep Rock Galactic, and several other games will get support in the long term, most notably DayZ. While most USB mice and keyboards should work, Microsoft wants to go beyond that. It's launching a Design for Xbox program for keyboards that are designed with a console in mind. They'll have a dedicated Xbox key and will support the system's dynamic lighting feature to change hues in-game. Razer is currently the exclusive partner shipping a Design for Xbox mouse and keyboard setup and will unveil its hardware in January at the Consumer Electronics Show. And so if you are a fan of PC gaming but you don't want to deal with the, I don't know, Windows operating system i don't know why i guess maybe you just have an xbox one and you want to play like a pc gamer would play you can jump on and plug in your mouse and keyboard and go at it in just a couple of days if you do fit those necessary requirements uh but it is good to see this coming number one because quite frankly when it comes to competitive shooting games like fortnite uh like PUBG, if that does roll out in time uh, i would love to see more uh, compatibility with other kinds of peripherals other than just the xbox one controller because that is one thing uh, and that is one reason why i don't like playing on console necessarily as much when it comes to first person shooters now i make amends you know with certain games i understand that some games just work better with a controller uh, but for a lot of these battle royale games, I really do thrive when it comes to the ability to aim precisely with a keyboard and a mouse. And so to be able to do that on the Xbox One is something that definitely does make the console more enticing in the long run. And for a lot of people, that also applies as well. 
I will also say uh, that for those that might have a disability of some kind, the ability to plug in a mouse and keyboard or another peripheral is something that is incredibly valuable for a lot of individuals, and so hopefully this is going to be used by a lot of people. Uh, But again, if you want to check it out, it is going to begin rolling out on November the 14th, and more and more people will be getting it over the course of the next few months, and I cannot wait to see what ends up happening with this one. Now we have an interesting story. Live-action Detective Pikachu trailer features disturbingly realistic Pokemon. And let me tell you, very disturbingly realistic Pokemon. For years, Pokemon fans have dreamt of seeing how their favorite creatures might look in the real world of a creepy Mr. Mime or a cute fluffy Pikachu or a Charizard straight out of Game of Thrones. The upcoming live-action Pikachu film, look, excuse me, the upcoming live-action Detective Pikachu film looks like all these dreams and nightmares come to life. Coming to a cinema near you next summer, Pokemon Detective Pikachu is an adaptation of the 3DS game which launched back in March of this year. As previously announced, the film stars Deadpool himself, Ryan Reynolds as Detective Pikachu, plus Justice Smith, Karen Newton, Ken Watanabe, and Rita Ora. I don't know actors and actresses. Who are these people? Who really knows? Now, I will say that when it comes down to the trailer itself, what a trailer this one is, okay? I did not expect this to be nearly as interesting as it is, Uh, but overwhelmingly, I cannot believe how good it looks, because not only are the graphics good in it, like the animations and whatnot of the Pokemon themselves are very impressive, but the story doesn't seem to be that bad either. Uh, I saw a lot of people online talking about the fact that this essentially looks like a glorified PG version of Ted, uh, where you do have kind of a raunchy Pikachu that hangs out with this kid who is a Pokemon trainer, and he's the only one that can understand him. Uh, It's something that is very interesting, and I might even pick this one up when it does come out from Redbox. Of course, I'm not going to be seeing this one in the movie theater. What? No. I'm not going to be going that far into it, but I will say that I am shocked, pleasantly surprised at how good Detective Pikachu looks. Now, I will say one little side piece of commentary here. Is this the best way to introduce a Pokemon live-action movie? I don't know if this is the first one that we needed. I could see Detective Pikachu coming in at some point down the line, but I feel like it would have been a much better option to create an actual Pokemon movie, just one in general, that does feature this same kind of artwork, this same kind of animation, all this same kind of storyline, but just featuring Pokemon instead of Detective Pikachu. Maybe this is a better way to present a story. Maybe this is a better way to package everything. Uh, Maybe this is the only way, way Ryan Reynolds could get in on this. I don't really know exactly why they're going with this route. But it is looking pretty good, and I will say that it is shocking when it comes to how good it does look. Of course, Weird Jigglypuffs, uh, Mr. Mime, of course, has become a meme, if you will, and a lot of uh, other incredible little side pieces here. But I know that a ton of people are very excited about this game, or excuse me, this movie. I'm so used to talking about Pokemon as a game. Uh, But interesting nonetheless, and I know there is a large cry for Danny DeVito to replace Ryan Reynolds as the voice of Detective Pikachu, and to be quite honest with you, I could totally see that, and I would also be backing Seth MacFarlane as another choice, because man, Ted is a good, good movie. Uh, But again, if you want to check out the trailer, you can find it linked in the link which is down below for the article, and of course, you can check out Ryan Reynolds voicing Pikachu himself, which could be a pretty fun movie, depending on how well it does do. Uh, but again, looking really good here, and I love the uh, love the animation on that logo as well. But coming out in summer of 2019, so keep an eye out for this one when it does roll out. 
However, moving on to the next story of the day, leaked photos suggest Valve is working on its own VR headset, and sources report a Half-Life VR game, too. Leaked images of an alleged VR Valve prototype headset have appeared online. The images first appeared on Imgur yesterday, thanks to UploadVR.com, but according to the clock on the desktop computer in the background, they were taken in July of 2018. The images are completely unverified, but given their complexity, the number of units shown, and the authentic-looking Valve logo printed on the circuit boards, if they're not genuine headsets, they are incredibly detailed fakes. Study the images closely, and there appears to be built-in headphones and Steam VR sensors, plus two visible cameras, which suggest this headset will provide a larger field of view than the Vive. Upload VR adds the headset padding is visually similar to the padding seen on Valve's prototype Knuckles controllers, which the author can't help but agree with on this Eurogamer article. Although Valve has talked openly of VR games it currently has in development, Valve currently partners with HTC's Vive and Vive Pro for VR hardware, and there's been no official word that the dev has been working on its own VR. VR tech. Could this be a new Vive headset that simply has yet to receive HTC branding or something created entirely independent from HTC? UploadVR.com says independent sources have confirmed these are in fact prototypes for an upcoming Valve HMD, adding it will provide a 135 degree field of view with a Vive Pro resolution. The source also allegedly confirms the headset may come bundled with Knuckles controllers as well as a Half-Life VR game, and there is no commentary from Valve as of yet, but still, this is a very interesting looking picture right here. Now, whenever you're looking at this image, you've got a lot to break down here. You do have the Valve branding over here on the motherboard itself, or the uh, the chip here, if you will, but overall, this looks like something that could legitimately change the game when it comes to VR, because if you can make a good competitor in the realm of VR right now, you could potentially come out on top, because you do have PSVR as the most accessible and most affordable way to get into VR, but is it the best VR experience you can get? No. When it comes to HTC Vive and the Vive Pro, is it a good experience? Yes. Is price still a limiting factor for a lot of people? Absolutely. So, depending on what this headset actually does and the requirements of it to function appropriately, this could be a game changer when it comes to VR. Now, I've been holding out on VR for a while. I haven't adopted any kind of VR headset, but what I will say is that in terms of where VR is as a whole right now, it is becoming more and more enticing because it simply hasn't died. Uh, there is a time and a place for VR, and I think that we are beginning to edge into that time in 2018 going into 2019. Because back whenever it first came out, when the technology was in its infancy, when I was in high school, it was very expensive, like beyond the realm of possibility for anybody that did not have a full-time job. and no fa- Like, it was very expensive. Uh, and it was also very limiting when it comes to the experience that could be had. But so many games are coming out that I do want to play, such as Beat Saber, the compatibility with Tetris Effect. These are two fantastic reasons why I do want to get a PlayStation VR at some point in the future. Maybe I'll just get one on eBay. We'll see what happens. But overall, a lot of movement going on in the VR side of the gaming industry, and I cannot wait to see what Valve does have up their sleeve. So is this a brand new HTC Vive? Is this an independent Valve headset? We'll probably see at the Consumer Electronics Show in January if I did have to guess. That seems like a pretty good place to debut this new tech. And again, in this specific uh, little rundown here, you've got visibly one, two, three, four, potentially five, six headsets in this screen. I do see six right here, maybe even seven and eight. Uh, but again, you do have the July 25th date at 12.04 p.m. over here on the monitor. So we'll see if this is all legitimate. It could very well be a really, really good fake, but I doubt it because it looks pretty dang real. 
Speaking of something that looks pretty dang real, Nuketown is coming to Black Ops 4 this week on the PlayStation 4. Now, we talked about this last week, but now we have a brand new launch trailer. Call of Duty Black Ops 4 is getting a new version of the well-known Nuketown map this week. As with all content drops for Black Ops 4, Nuketown is going to be on the PS4 for one week exclusively, and Treyarch has announced that Nuketown is hitting on November the 13th. Uh, Now, overall, there's a lot to go on here. There's a whole bunch of patch notes, but let me tell you right now, this version of Nuketown looks looks fantastic and I do want to look up the official trailer because you guys need to see this it does look very very good so overall it is what you would expect it is the classic nuketown kind of gameplay but it is completely and totally Russian, okay? So it's a different setting. It is snowy. Uh, but overall, the layout of the map is exactly the way that you remember it from the previous iterations of Nuketown. I cannot wait to jump into this. Uh, this is something that really does excite me. And as I tweeted earlier, I understand this is just a total reskin of a classic Black Ops map. But there is something about debuting this map over and over again and slightly changing the way that it looks that just hits me where it counts. I love this kind of thing. And it just really does entice me. And I am going to be jumping back into Black Ops 4 now. I am going to be playing Grip Combat Racing over the next few days. I got to do a review on that. Uh, on top of that, I also have to go in and finish Red Dead Redemption. Two, but Black Ops 4 is definitely enticing and I have been playing it a bit right before the show started and so I cannot wait to dive in and get some more hands-on time and of course tomorrow when Nuketown does launch duh I'm gonna be playing that without a doubt so uh, I'll definitely be jumping in and fragging some noobs uh, but man does it look good I must admit I love the overall look of the game and uh, Black Ops 4 has been a blast so far very glad that I bought this one on day one cannot get enough of that classic kind of Call of Duty experience and of course Blackout is is not half bad either, I must admit. Very fun to watch indeed. So if you did want to jump in, Black Ops 4 is available now, and Nuketown drops for free on the PS4 tomorrow, and again, coming out in about a week on the Xbox One and the PC versions of the game. But the competing shooter, Battlefield, has a game that came out a couple of years back called Battlefield 1, and it takes place in World War 1. And over Armistice Day, otherwise known as Veterans Day, if you will, players called a truce in the game. As we all know, there's only one better way of honoring a fallen soldier of World War 1 than observing a two-minute silence. The best way is to load up Battlefield 1, a game about shooting soldiers in World War 1, and then not do that. At 11 a.m. Canberra time yesterday, nearly everyone on a Battlefield server agreed to stop shooting shooting each other. Footage of the unprecedented outbreak of peace can be found below. News of the event came via this Reddit post, and you gotta click through if you want to see because of the embed refusing to play off of the site. It's pretty much what you would expect, opposing soldiers standing next to each other doing their weapon, changing animations as close to each other's faces as possible. It's not long, of course, before a plane swoops in and ruins everything with a barrage of machine gun fire, and someone stabs at the player who's recording the retaliation, uh, but at least they did apologize. Now, this is not the first time video game combatants have thrown down their arms, the Verdun devs do a Christmas truce mode, which swaps out the guns for snowballs. It doesn't share quite the same appeal as an ad hoc ceasefire like this, but you can play footy. I once championed a Christmas Day truce in Star Wars Battlefront, the old one, says the author, though it never occurred to us to stop fighting altogether. I just shouted at everyone until we all agreed we'd only use pistols for a bit. And of course, there is the overall look, and I will say that it is very impressive to see people actually coming together to celebrate Armistice Day the fact that everybody just kind of stopped playing is something that is very impressive to me just coming in and stopping any kind of combat whatsoever and just just hanging out on the beach for a while and uh, that is something that is very impressive I will say now of course there's this dick in the machine gun plane uh, but you know you gotta do what you gotta do so overall uh, there's um, 
a lot of stuff going on in this game. So, again, cool to see people celebrating that. And, of course, to all the veterans that might be listening to the podcast, I appreciate your work. And I know a lot of us are very thankful for the sacrifices that are made each and every day to keep our country free and open to where I can make a podcast about this kind of pointless stuff every night. But overall, really awesome to see the fact that we do have this armistice celebration going on in Battlefield 1. And, of course, Battlefield Five does launch next week, so we'll see if there are any World War II-related celebrations that the community does take part in. Uh, but one celebration is going to happen if Bioshock games are released individually, which could actually be happening. It looks like all three remastered Bioshock titles will be getting separate releases sometime soon. Bioshock Remastered, Bioshock 2 Remastered, and Bioshock Infinite, the complete edition, have received individual Peggy ratings, suggesting that they'll each be getting their own release in the not-too-distant future. Currently, the remastered games are only available to pick up as part of a bundle in Bioshock the Collection, which released back in 2016. It contains all three games with their DLC as well as director's commentary. It comes in at around 60 bucks. so for those of you who don't necessarily want the whole series and have been hesitant to fork over for the collection, your options are about to get a whole lot better. Would you kindly take a look at the original launch Bioshock Collection trailer to remind yourself just how pretty Rapture is? And of course, you can find all of this information over there on VG24. But that would be very cool to get the individual games released because I know a ton of people that don't necessarily have the funds or have the desire to get all three games in one go. And when it comes to the Bioshock collection, uh, I would say that the two games I would choose are certainly the original Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite because those are pretty much definitively different from one another and also define what the series does have to offer. Of course, Bioshock 2, fantastic as well, don't get me wrong, but it seems like those two, the front end and the back end, really do define what the franchise means to me. So what would the price of these be? I would guess individually somewhere between 15 and 20 bucks. Sounds like a pretty fair offer. Or perhaps they'll be 25 and they will offer you a little bit of a discount by spending $60 on all three, or you can buy them each individually for $25. bucks. we will see what happens with that, but it's good to hear they could be coming, and each individual game, again, has gotten a Peggy rating, so I would say this might be a Game Awards announcement. It could be coming out over the course of the next few weeks, but we'll see what happens, and I will keep you guys up to date as to when that does come out on not only this show, but also another episode of The Drop to come in the future. And finally, we have the final concluding story of the day. Sony's PlayStation Classic is powered by the open-source emulator PCSX. Sony has opted to license a long-running open-source PlayStation emulator PCSX to power the games on its upcoming plug-and-play PlayStation Classic system. Ars Technica has a pretty detailed write-up worth reading on what exactly the PlayStation Classic's PCSX roots mean, but it's an interesting observation given that Nintendo's recent mini-systems were powered by an emulator of the company's own design. In short, the PlayStation Classic runs on PCSX Rearmed, a modern version of an emulator that has been around since the early 2000s. PCSX has seen its fair share of versions and plugins over the years from a variety of developers, resulting in versions like PCSX Reloaded and PCSX Rearmed. Sony has obviously used emulators in the past to do things like bring PS2 games forward to PS3 and through a subscription service, PlayStation 4. The recent HD release of Parappa the Rapper on PlayStation 4 was even found to be the PSP version of the game running on an emulator. But the notable departure in this case is that Sony is looking to community-made tools to power the PlayStation Classic rather than create their own emulator or enlist another dev to create one for the system. 
And that's what I want to talk about here, okay? This is kind of a big deal. So for those that don't know, essentially, as the article does say, Nintendo created their own emulator for the Nintendo Classic Systems because that's what you're supposed to do. Like, whenever somebody is paying a large sum of money to get a small, miniaturized version of a console with a limited selection of games, you should at least chunk in the change towards a dev to create a brand new version of some kind of emulator for them to run on the system. So... This is just very shady. It feels wrong. And of course, PCSX can be downloaded for free. I've loaded it up before and played classic games uh, that I used to play back in the day as well. But to have it just running on the PlayStation Classic out there in the open like that is something that I don't necessarily get behind. I feel like that's a little bit of a a bad business practice, if you will, and it just feels wrong, especially considering that essentially what you are getting is a glorified Raspberry Pi with PCSX loaded onto it uh, in a little small miniature package that looks like a PlayStation 1, but small. It just doesn't make sense to me, and it rubs me the wrong way. Now, I will say that because of the limited options when it comes to games, I won't be getting this one on day one. Now, are people going to hack this and make their own versions of the PlayStation Classic? Without a doubt. Could you probably do that in some way, shape, or form, considering this is just an emulator? Absolutely. Is that the whole purpose behind making it compatible and pretty much built on the foundation of this emulator? It very well could be. So we all could be overreacting, and this very well could be the most fan-friendly thing that Sony could do in this situation. Uh, But for me, I just want that same kind of PlayStation experience uh, that I got back in the day, and so I guess Sony is giving that in some way, shape, or form. I just wish they would have put a little bit more thought and effort into how they went about doing that. But again, that is just my two cents. However, that wraps it up on today's episode of Caffeinate. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to drop me a like down below. And if you are watching live on Twitch, I appreciate you very much. And on top of that, if you happen to be on podcast services around the world, I hope you enjoy the show and I hope you do come back for another one. But this is hosted live on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams live every single weeknight at 7 p.m. Eastern time if you did want to jump in. And of course, it is exported via a ton of links that are available down below. But as for right now, you guys have a fantastic rest of the I am going to go play some Red Dead Redemption 2 and peace. Have a fantastic one.